<laughs> I shared with you a couple of weeks ago from Psalms 91, and I want to encourage you to memorize Psalms 91, a tremendous chapter in the Bible. You ought to get the Word of God in your heart. Um, that when you get it in your heart, it can come back when you need it. And it will. The Holy Spirit will bring things to your remembrance. When I was a young boy and just started out preaching, as somebody told me one time, I said, oh, you don't have to do all that study and all that work. Just open your mouth and he'll fill it. He will with hot air. Uh, thank the Lord he fills us with breath. But, but if you put something in here, then the Holy Spirit will bring that. Uh, to your remembrance. And I encourage people to memorize Scripture. It's, uh, it's a blessing and will help you. So I'm going to go back to Psalms 91. I know we're coming to the table of the Lord. And I'm just going to uh, sort of use the first couple of verses as, as a launching pad uh, for our communion in just a few minutes. But the first two verses of Psalms 91, you can see it on the screen. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The second verse is the one I want you to really notice. I will say of the Lord, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Um, these few words from this particular, I'm not going to go into depth like I did with the names of God as it starts out in this particular chapter like I did a couple weeks ago, but instead... I just want to talk to you about the, the, the power of confession. The psalmist said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. Words are powerful. Uh, there are three examples in the epistle of James that are so vitally important. James is that little book. It's near the end of your New Testament James was an apostle of God, and his book is not very large, just a few chapters, about five, and, uh, but, but it, it, it really hits with a punch. Boy, James is one of those guys, he just, he just says it like it is. He is strong. And in the third chapter of his writing, he talks to us about the power of the tongue. Uh, let's look at verses two to six in chapter three. James said, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. I told you he's a hard hitter, didn't I? He, he, he gets right to it. But, but before you dwell on the, the negative, which, which he hits pretty strong here, look first at the positive because James actually gives us two positive things about the tongue and then one negative thing. Let's look at these three. He talked about the horse and the bridle. Uh, he said that in verse 3. talked about the horse and the bridle. He said we put a, a bit in a horse's mouth. And, and with that, uh, we can hook a bridle to it. And we can guide that horse wherever we want to. 
Now, the point he's making here is the difference between the size and the strength of the rider and the animal that's being ridden. Uh, I never realized just how much that variance is until uh, several years ago. I li- lived in Indiana a few years, and, and uh, we had a lot of folks in our church from Kentucky. In fact, if any of you, and we do have some people that are from Indiana, you know that in Indiana, uh, you really have to look hard to find uh, a Hoosier. I mean, a, a truly born Hoosier. That's what they call people from Indiana. Um, most everybody in Indiana, are, they got there from Kentucky or Arkansas. They moved up there during the 40s and 50s and the Industrial Revolution. They went up there getting jobs, getting away from the farmland of Kentucky and Arkansas. And they stayed there and raised their families. And so the problem is when you had a, a vacation or 4th of July or Christmas or, or um, Thanksgiving holiday, everybody's gone. They've gone to Kentucky or Arkansas. I met a lot of Kentuckians, got to know a lot of Kentuckians, visited Kentucky a lot. We used to go, and we, we, where I lived in Indiana was close enough that even when we went to the lake to ski, we went to uh, Lake Cumberland in Kentucky. And I also traveled around Lexington quite a bit and got to know some of the people in that area where they raise horses. And, and in fact, uh, they stable a lot of the world champion horses in that area. And boy, let me tell you, you, you ought to see some of those derby winners. Those, those horses, they're, um, they're, they're bred for speed and, and they're strong. In fact, and they're so well manicured and so well kept, their muscles just ripple in the sunlight when you watch them out uh, grazing or something. It's just, they're amazing. And you know, the guys that ride those things in the derbies, are little bitty guys. I mean, most of them don't weigh 90 pounds. That's true. In in fact, if you weigh 98 pounds, you're pretty big for a jockey. Most of them are about 85, 90 pounds. And and those little bitty guys, 85, 90 pounds, jump up on that animal that weighs a couple thousand pounds and and makes that animal go wherever he wants him to go. And he does that because he controls his mouth. And that's what James is trying to tell us here. The positive effect. If you can, if you can control the mouth of that horse, you can lead that horse wherever you want him to go just by controlling the mouth. I think I've told you this story before. I got to know a guy that used to train those racehorses in Lexington. And, and uh, he quit and moved back to Indiana and got a job. And I asked him, I said, why, why did you leave? It's pretty good money in training those racehorses, especially when you get, you know, some of the well-known ones back in those days, Secretariat and some of those, you know. And, and he said, yeah, there's good money in it. But he said, the thing that made me leave, he said, one day I was training this horse and it threw me. And, and people came rushing from everywhere to the horse. <laughs> he said, I'm laying over half dead and nobody cares. They can replace me for 20 bucks an hour. That's a multi-million dollar horse. So he said, I decided to come back where people are important. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, you're, you're, you're going to think I'm telling you a story, but this is the truth. I visited some of the stables of those world champion horses, and I saw one that had a chandelier in his, in his stable. 
that cost $30,000 back then. A $30,000 chandelier in a horse stable. You say, preacher, that sounds silly. Yeah, it sure does. But if you got a horse making you millions, you might spend 30000 foolishly. I, I don't know. People do crazy things, you know. Um, just think about what you do for your dog. Um, but anyway, let, let, let's go on. I get back to my... Get back to my subject here. Yeah. Uh, But you can... And then then James gives a second illustration or a word picture. He said, these great big ships, he said, they're turned by a small rudder. Now, he's talking about in comparison, the rudder that's in the water compared to the size of the ship is so much smaller, and yet it controls the direction. And that's the way it is with our tongue. Did you know you control the direction of your life by your confessions, by what you say? We are sitting here this morning living what we prophesied into our lives years ago. Many, many if you think that's a minute, you, you've been saying it, you've been saying it, and, and, and then here it is. And, and it, it works that way. You can, relationships are controlled by our tongue, it, and it can be positive. You, you remember, remember how you sweet talked your girl when you saw somebody you were attracted to and how much you loved her? And, yeah, yeah. You wonder why the fire's gone out. Why don't you go back and say some of those things again? You'd be amazed what might happen if you'd start talking to her like that again. You know, after she comes back to and you pick her up and, you know, get her back, uh, you'd just be amazed what might happen. So James uses two illustrations in the positive, but then he uses one in the negative. He said, think for a moment how great a forest, a little bitty match, a little small fire can destroy And he compares that to the tongue. You and I both have seen families wrecked because of what came out of somebody's mouth. Relationships destroyed by what came out of somebody's mouth. So so the power of the tongue is vital. And and it's vital in every area of life. Did, Did you know confession is a powerful part of salvation and the new birth? Um, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you're born again by confession only because you're not. When I was a boy, we lived next door to a church. I won't call the denominational name, but they believed that all you had to do to be saved. And what they did at the end of their service, they said, anybody want to say anything? And if somebody wanted to get saved, they would just stand up and say, I confess that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. And they'd say, God bless you, you've been born again. Now, I'm I'm not going to go so far as to say that nobody ever got born again doing that. But I am going to go far enough to say that that alone will not bring you salvation. You understand what I'm saying? And, and well, let me, let, let, me, let me just give you the scripture and we'll break it down and look at it. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 13. But what does it say, Paul says? He's talking about the Word of God. The Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. 
That is the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call on him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what Pastor Reagan was talking about a while ago. How many of you are glad that when you call upon the Lord, he's there to answer you? Amen. How many, how many are, yes, go ahead and give him praise. How many of you are thankful that at, at the cross that there's no distinction? He, he just mentions two here, Jews and Greeks. But for, for us, that would say it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, your race, creed, or color. There's, the ground is level at the cross. Amen? There, there's, it doesn't matter your gender. We're, we're all, amen. That's the Lord that we serve. He gives us all that opportunity. Praise the Lord. But now, here's, let me go back over this and, and show you what's required here for salvation. First of all, the Word. You see, the Word is the seed that the Holy Spirit uh, plants in our heart and causes to produce life. There has to be the Word. Hebrews 11 says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So you got to believe the word of God. The word of God is necessary for, for you to be saved. And, and here's what he says about it. He said, the word is near you in your mouth, but not just in your mouth. Remember what I said a while ago about the church that says, just stand up and confess. Now, if somebody stands up and confesses with their mouth and that word is in their heart and they believe the Lord to the point of submitting themselves, repenting of their sins, committing their life to the Lord, it's in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. So the word's necessary. Secondly, confession. And that's what we're talking about this morning. I will say he, confession is necessary here. That if you will confess, here it is, with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That's part of it. If you, but the sentence doesn't end there. Here's the third thing, faith. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Here's the promise. I love this. You'll be saved. You'll be saved. You'll be saved. If you believe on the Lord enough to commit your life to him totally and say, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life, you can be saved. And then he gives the explanation of how all this is done. Verse 10, he said, for with the heart one's be one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see how important confession is? Even in the new birth, our salvation. Third thing I want you to notice this morning is that confession is powerful in our prayers. Look what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Some translation says the faith of God. In other words, that faith of God that was planted in all of us, God gives us all enough faith to be saved. There's no reason that anybody should be lost. Amen? 
exercise the faith. God's given to every man a measure of faith. The faith. For assuredly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say unto you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, this is a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. In fact, it's the golden text. It is the foundation uh, Scripture that the whole faith movement uses. And, uh, but, but let me be quick to say this. This is the Word of God. This is Jesus speaking. And I believe it with everything that is in me. However, you never take one or two little verses of Scripture and pull them out of their context and build a whole doctrine and a whole movement on that by itself. you got to remember, folks, Jesus is teaching his disciples here, and he's teaching them many things. And in the context of his teaching, they understood what he was saying. So let's not take a text out of context because then it becomes a pretext. And we, we don't want to do that. Let's keep it in context. But John, for example, was one of those disciples and perhaps he was the closest disciple to the Lord Jesus. And, and John understood what he was saying here because John in one of his epistles several years later wrote this. He said, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John 5, if we ask anything, what? According to his will, he hears us. That leads me to believe that if I'm praying stuff that's against the will of God, then God's not listening to that. God's not answering that. And my confession can be all day long, but I can't make stuff come to pass that's contrary to the Word of God or the will of God. You understand that? If I ask anything according to His will, He hears me. And we know, John says, that if He hears us, then we have those things that we ask of Him. Let me give you an example. Right at the end of this morning's service, after we had been to the table of the Lord, and I was, I was just getting ready to leave, a young man came forward, and, and he, he wanted to pull me aside from everybody else because he didn't want anybody else to hear what he was saying because he wanted to confess something in his life that he was struggling with. And so he confessed to me privately what he was struggling with. And he said, uh, he said I want deliverance. I, I want to be delivered. I want to be set free. Let me tell you, I had all the confidence in the world to pray for that young man because I knew that what he was asking for was in the will of God. God didn't want him to leave here this morning in bondage. God didn't want him to, to go on and let his life be destroyed by a sin that he had not been able to conquer. And so we prayed with confidence this morning and then just praised the Lord for setting him free. If we ask a question, that's what Mark chapter 11 is based on is praying according to the will of God. Jesus said, if you ask anything according to my will, and, and, and second thing, then it's got to be coupled with faith. Your confession has to be coupled with faith. How many of you understand that sometimes your mouth and your heart are not lined up? 
sometimes we confess things with our mouth that we don't really believe in our heart. Uh, let me illustrate. Please don't raise your hand, but how many of you brethren here this morning have complimented your wife on something she fixed for dinner that you didn't particularly care for? You're, you said that was good. Now, your, your confession was not from your heart. Your confession was out of one of the strongest drives in mankind, and that's self-preservation. <laughs> you, you were complimenting your wife. She'd gone to a lot of effort to fix this particular, and so you were complimenting her effort, and you said it was good, and it was. To somebody, it would, would have been good, I'm sure, but it just... That, that didn't come from your heart. That, that confession came from your mouth. Sometimes we confess things with our mouth that we don't really mean in our heart. Now, that's not going to get the job done. Your confession has got to be coupled with faith. Remember Jesus said, if you say it and believe in your heart, then, then, if it's scriptural, if it lines up with the Word, if it's coupled with faith, then you're on good, solid ground to make your confession and declare. Now, don't, don't get the idea. I know that some people think that they're big enough to kind of order God around with their statements. Uh, no, 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 folks. God's still sovereign. God's still holy. God's still righteous. God's still true. God's still omnipotent. God's still omniscient. God's still omnipresent. God is all-knowing. God is all-wise. And God is not going to step aside for some of us to order things around. doesn't work that way. However, God invites us because his word is good and he has so many good things for us. He invites us to get in this word and find out the good things that he has for us and believe them in our heart and then go ahead and confess them out. We're on good ground then because he invites us to come boldly to the throne of grace and make our request known to him. Now, finally, and we're coming to the table of the Lord. How does all of this um, partake uh, to, to communion. Here's a scripture that I almost always read when we come to the table of the Lord. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. Let's look at it again. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night of which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I want to do a quick little review because typically on the fifth Sunday, I go over and, and usually I preach this. I take great time and detail and go through the seven places that Jesus bled from his body in, in that crucifixion ordeal for us. And, and so, but I'm going to just run through them quickly. They're going to put them on the screens, and I'll just make a brief comment, but then I'll show you why our confession is important here. First of all, he bled from his hands. We know that he was nailed with spikes to, to the cross. He, he was nailed. And he purchased forgiveness for all that our hands have done that displeased God. 
Secondly, he, he bled from his feet. They, they drove spike through his feet. And, and that brought forgiveness, bought forgiveness for us for every place that our feet have gone that God is not pleased with. Thirdly, from his head. Remember they put the crown of thorns on his head? And that purchased forgiveness for us uh, for every thought that we've had that doesn't please God. And, and I, I, I don't have this on, for the screen, but, but I, I do want to remind you that under the curse in Genesis, when man sinned, his labor was cursed. Remember, God said, you'll, you'll make your living by the sweat of your brow. That was a curse on our labor. When Jesus took that crown of thorns on his head, and that blood that trickled, trickled from, his, from his head also redeemed our labor. Praise God. Blood of Jesus breaks that old curse. Amen? The curse of sin. Because it's washing our sins away. You can also claim God's blessing over your labor where in times past it's been cursed. I've had people come to the table of the Lord and make that confession. Lord, I believe that you suffered not only for the salvation of my soul and the healing of my body, but I believe that you paid the price so that I could walk in victory as it relates to my labor. And I've had people who were without work and had not been able to find a job come to the table of the Lord and exercise their faith and make their confession and the next week find a job. We've had that testimony over and over and over and over again. And, and I've had people that are having trouble on their job, got somebody they can't get along with or whatever. Listen, you're there for a reason. You're a representative of your heavenly Father. And, and you don't have to struggle in your job alone. The Lord not only has you in a place where you can be a blessing, but, but if you'll claim the victory, he'll be there with you to help you. We've seen, we've seen bad bosses moved. We've seen bad bosses' attitudes turn around and change. Amen. He he set he breaks the curse off of your labor if, if you'll believe it with your heart and confess it with your mouth. Let me, let me go on quickly. He bled from his face. Remember when they jerked the beard from his face and left nothing but a bloody stubble of a chin, purchasing forgiveness for everything I've ever said, every word I've ever spoken that displeased God. He bled from his back. Remember that horrible beating he took in Pilate's judgment hall with the cat of nine tails, 39 stripes on his back, and, and therefore our healing. How many of you have been healed by the power of God? Oh, praise the Lord. Yes, it's there for you. Then from his side, remember the soldier threw, uh, put a spear through his side and blood and water gushed out when they broached and broke that, that um, pack around the heart and, and literally the blood and the mucus came from that. And it, that was for our transgressions. By the way, the Hebrew word there for uh, transgression is translated rebellion. Every time and every place in your life where you've rebelled against God, where you've overstepped the authority of God, where you've resisted the authority of God, there's forgiveness for that. There's fr and freedom from that. And finally, the seventh time from the inside, that's the broken capillaries under the skin. Remember, he was bruised. That's bleeding underneath the skin. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes were healed. The Hebrew word there is perversity. Every perverse thought and sin that you've ever been involved in, if you've been involved in any kind of immorality, there's forgiveness for that. 
praise God. And let me, let me tell you about the blood of Jesus. It's so powerful. Under the old covenant, they brought a lamb and sacrificed a lamb. That lamb covered their sins for a year at a time. But let me tell you about the blood of Jesus and why this covenant is so much better than the old covenant. The blood of Jesus doesn't cover your sins. The blood of Jesus washes them away. Praise God. They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. When Satan tries to accuse you before God of your past life, God brings forth the record and shows that it's not even there. (laughs) Glory to God. And so what I want you to do, and stand with me if you will, please, because we're going to come to the table. What I want you to do is be thinking because we're going to pray and I'm going to stop and give you an opportunity for that. After we have taken the elements and before we actually take them into our, into our mouth, we're going to pick them up here at the table and hold them until everybody's been served. And then, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that confession that you need to make today, whatever it may be. There may be some of you standing here. This takes some people by surprise because you know there's some churches that if you don't belong to that particular church, they don't invite you to, to um, take communion with them. We have what we call open communion. Anybody here this morning that wants to come to the table of the Lord, you're welcome to come. You don't have to be a member of this church. Don't want you to feel pressured. If you feel that you prefer not to, that's fine. We understand that. No, nobody. But if you want to come to the table of the Lord, and, and this is the statement that sometimes takes people by surprise. I say, even if you're unsaved, if you'd like to come to the table, and let me tell you why I say that, I don't know a better place to get saved than at the table of the Lord. If you'll take that bread that represents his body that was broken for you, and you'll take that cup that represents his blood that was spilled for you, shed for you, and if you'll make that confession, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. And I believe in my heart this morning that that you died for me, and I want you to forgive my sins, and I ask you to forgive me. I repent. I believe that. What a wonderful place to be saved this morning at the communion table. That may be the confession you need to make. Maybe you need to confess your sin to God. Others of you may be standing here today and you're battling something in your body, physical ailment, a disease, or whatever. Oh, if you'll come this morning to the table of the Lord and by faith you'll make that confession, Lord, I believe that you suffered for the healing of my body and I believe that there's healing for me And I'm going to take the communion this morning and believe you and ask you and confess that by your stripes I'm healed. Maybe it's a relationship that's broken. Maybe your home's torn apart. Maybe it's restoration that's needed. Reconciliation. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your job we talked about a few minutes ago. But whatever it may be, we want to invite you to come to the table of the Lord.